Hamilton, video games design, play, disrupt, and grip combat racing. This is staying in. Ah, oh, speaking of traditions, Peter, you're going to love this. I had my first trick or treaters the other week. Oh, what did you? What? Okay, with adults or children? Children. Okay, what had had you prepared anything, or had they prepared anything? I think we know the answer to this. Uh, uh, no, I hadn't. I hadn't prepared anything, but because I didn't realise, and this is ri- this is very useful for you to know, Peter, that if you carve a pumpkin, you put a candle in it, and you stick it so it's facing out through the window. That is the universal sign that you are open for trick or treat. I did ah, not know this. Right. So when I was halfway through making dinner, doorbell goes. I answer the door with butcher's knife in hand because <laughs> I was, you know, midway through cutting a butternut squash in half. Sure. Uh, yeah. To the sight of two children. Dressed fantastically, asking, you know, just not saying trick or treat, just presenting a bag. Each of them presenting a bag to me. <laughs> and I thought, oh no, what am I going to give them? And I realised that when I go running, because I get hungry when I run, so I always take a little bag of sweets with me when oh, I go when running. Do, when don't you get hungry? So what What was the little bag of sweets? Little bag of Haribo get... sweets. So I get a, a little oh. multi-pack. So I take a little bag with me. So I gave them each a little bag. And quite quickly I realised I've got ten bags. Ding dong. Oh no. <gasps> Another oh. two arrive. Oh. So so let's fast forward to the bit where you inevitably run out of Haribo and then you're... Well, this is the wonderful thing because I ran out of Haribo and I was just about to get some sesame seed bars. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Oh. <laughs> what have you got? What have you got this year, Timmy? Oh, Haribo. I've got Mars bar. Oh, some... But they had yoghurt on them. But to be honest, <laughs> to be honest though... They're not going to know. They don't care. It's so dimly lit. Like they, they just present their bags. You could chuck anything in there. They don't know. Yeah. It's lucky dip. They, they don't know who gave them the cereal bar or whatever, um, yeah. or the little bit of lint. I don't know. But basically, um, I was very fortunate. Ten kids, ten Harry boats. Fantastic. So next year, I'm going to be much more prepared. Or just, or just don't open your door. Why not? Because it's Halloween. Just don't open your door. Oh, I never open my door in Halloween. But don't. I don't know. I just like. Oh, I've only I, just moved to this community. I don't want to be seen yeah. as an asshole, particularly if yeah. I've got a pumpkin in the window which says "Doors are open, <laughs> come in, kids." Uh, Halloween treat. is inherently for assholes who go around people's wow. houses and say, "Give me free." Wow! wow. Whoa! Uh, the only seasonal visitors I've ever had was in, and, and this is a very clear memory, because in the second year of university, and it was just coming up to Christmas, just before we we're all pa- about to pack up for like a six weeks of Christmas leave or whatever it was. Yeah. And remember those days. <laughs> yeah. And got this, got this rap on the door and uh, opened the door to find two boys about 13, 14, both in tracksuits, made no effort, just like literally <laughs> boys off the street. The Tesco carrier bag. Yeah. One of them stands there with hands in the pockets. Then the other one stands there and goes... We wish you a Merry Christmas, we wish you a Merry Christmas, we wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And then the other guy with his hands in his pockets then takes his hand out and puts it towards me in a, in the in the universal sign of, of giving. And I go, thanks very much, close the door. <laughs> what? It's like it's like a it's like a real life scene from the comic Viz. <laughs> but it was like if you dressed up a bit, yeah, that's about fifty p. Good singing, sure. another fifty p. Another fifty p. A little yeah, bit of sure. entertainment, like jazz it up a bit. Then we're thinking like maybe two <laughs> yeah. quid. Tossing some dance moves. 
Yeah, you can't yeah. just turn them on a doorstep. And... But uh, so I'm assuming you. To- I'm assuming you told them all this before you closed the door. Oh no! Just just for future advice, constructive criticism. <laughs> just a thank you. Just a nod, a thank you, and a move on with our lives. See, I don't. I don't answer the door to carol singers either. Oh, Dan. Do, do you ever sign for any packages or anything? I, pretty much no. I don't get things. Yeah, I, I've got nothing against carol singers, but I just like I'm not interested. You're gonna come to as as Sam just explained there. You're gonna come to my house. You're gonna mumble some vague song lyrics, and you expect money yeah. for it. I'm like, no, you gotta you gotta earn that. How often do you get knocks on the door, Dan? Do you like live on a high street? Or oh, something? very, very rarely. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's not like a constant barrage of people <laughs> knocking on my door. There's not a queue of people just hoping I'm going to be the one he'll open the door for. It's my house, my time. Don't be interrupting it. <laughs> I've kind of like stopped using twitter as much as i used to i've i'm continuing my don't keep it on my phone rule uh, and it's and it's working out quite nicely but because of that i haven't heard the word hamilton in months whereas the only place i've ever read the word hamilton is on twitter i don't know what it is but you have wanted to speak about it dan for like weeks and weeks and weeks i i i have had it in my mind to speak about hamilton on this podcast for literally yeah. years. Yeah. You want to do it on Twitter. Everyone's talking about it all the time. But what I, is it? But I needed a reason to talk about it rather than just on a whim. Uh, now, my, okay, right. Can I just guess at what this thing is? Go for it. I'm going to join you, Peter, because I know nothing about this musical. Oh, it's a musical. Okay. Well, okay. Oh, spoilers. I'm, oh, I'm so well, sorry. I first heard of Hamilton in when I was in New York three years ago, four years ago now. And we're having a tour this is going to give some of the game away and we're taking a cycling tour around um central park and one of the statues there is of alexander hamilton and the site is it the site where he had his jewel or something like that anyway there's a statue there of alexander hamilton and it was just as hamilton was starting to brew as a my god this is something really good and if you if you wanted to go and see it then tickets were like a a thousand dollars to go and see it because that's when it was hitting its sort of like peak as like this is like the next big broadway smash hmm so so do, do you want do you want to guess what it is or shall i just just explain it to you yeah no please just tell me because i yeah i really don't know what it is okay now. so this is a uh, musical uh written by a guy called lin manuel miranda he's kind of a writer actor he's done lots of different stuff in the past you'd probably Chris, you may know his face. Pete, you wouldn't because you don't know popular culture. Um, Chris, mm-hmm. you might know his face from seeing him in various things. And um, a number of years ago, he wrote a musical, a hip-hop musical, based on the life of Alexander Hamilton, who was the first Treasury Secretary of the United States. And it's a musical about him and the American Revolution. Now, saying that, and on paper, that doesn't sound all that interesting. I'm However... already. When he wrote the mu- he wrote kind of the music all himself. He starred as the lead actor in it, starring as Alexander Hamilton. And it, but, when yeah. they fir- when he first wrote it, he actually wrote the play, wrote the the music as the idea of being kind of a standalone album, um, just a, a music album. 
and then that kind of spiraled and it became this big musical. So the story is all about his life coming to America, how his intelligence and his talents enabled him to rise through the ranks and how his ability to articulate thought and articulate kind of what the country should become against at the time the kind of the rule of, of the British Empire type thing. So it's it's a it's a musical all about that and then kind of after the American Revolution, the the start of the United States of America. So people like George Washington are characters in it, people like uh, Thomas Jefferson are characters within the within the play. And then the other side of it is it's a hip hop musical. Now I think a lot of people would hear hip hop musical and kind of cringe a little bit. And it kind of I I think the the term hip hop musical kind of sells it in a way that doesn't actually come across because hip hop musical makes it sound like we're just going to use hip hop songs to to tell this story and it doesn't quite fit like that. Lima Miranda was a huge fan of musicals of uh, Broadway growing up and you you hear all the inflections and all the kind of the the tropes of a traditional musical within this play. However, the music is so expertly written and brings in influences from hip hop brings in kind of influences from and I'm going to name some rappers that I don't know very well so it's going to sound Go a bit down. cringy for me to say them but uh, people like Notorious B.I.G. and yeah. Biggie Smalls oh, yeah. and I know, yeah. I, I know of them obviously but I'm Juicy not a big fan of is, I think Juicy is referenced in one of the songs in it which gets my seal of approval like, um, there's a Notorious B.I.G. song called uh, The Ten Crack Commandments. And in the, yep. in the play, there is, a, there is a song called The Ten Jewel Commandments, where he writes a song explaining the rules of dueling. And it's an incredibly well-written and constructed song, and it gives you all that detail. And he kind of he said he was influenced by that kind of thing. He was influenced by there are literal rap battles that kind of the cabinet arguments are represented by rap battles. And he talked about kind of in the past, kind of the fights between people like Jay-Z and Nas, those kind of rivalries. And that's what he used as inspiration. He used kind of modern day artists like Eminem and Common as kind of inspiration for some of the characters and how they speak and how they sing. And it is, I mean, it is a hip hop music in terms of there's a lot of hip hop style music in it. There's a lot of spoken song in it. There's also more traditional songs as well and the way it blends and the way it combines is just incredible i've been listening to the album now for literally years and it's on a fairly consistent rotation i know all the songs i know all the words to all the songs it's it's just incredible and kind of because the story as well is so good the story is incredible going into the detail the kind of minutiae of the the politics of it it's such an interesting story, so expertly told with songs that are just fantastic and so beautifully constructed in terms of the use of voice and harmonies and standard music that it's it's just amazing. And the reason I bring it up now, as opposed to at any point over the past few years, is I recently saw it a couple of weeks ago. And uh, so you done you've been listening to the music before you'd seen it live. Yes. yes. So it came, so it had been running in New York in Broadway um, for a number of years. And then it came over to Britain in, and it, it, the tickets I think went on sale around about kind of January 2016. It launched January 27, no, 2018, sorry. Tickets went on sale January 2017. It premiered 
uh, January 2018 because of Toby coming along. I wasn't quite sure when I'd be able to see it, so I couldn't get tickets for that. But eventually, me and my good lady wife, we went to see it because she also loves it. I kind of introduced her to the album and she fell in love with it as well. And we went to see it just a couple of weeks ago and it's hands down the best thing I have ever seen in a theatre, both in terms of obviously the music, which I am in love with. Hang on, hang on. Dan, you have seen both, well, you've seen all three of us, me, Pete and Chris, in theatres performing on stage. Yep. You can't just throw away. I feel hurt. Yeah, well, exactly. I, well, I'm sorry, but that's the truth. And I'm, I'm sorry if I've hurt you. Well, I could say stronger deeply. things in comparison between the shows that we did and the show that I saw. I could use very strong words in comparison, but it would be somewhat derogatory towards the fine work that we did to compare it to that. What, what, mm. what was the impact of going to see a musical and already knowing all of the songs? Because for me, when I go to a musical, half of the fun, yeah. I say fun, half of the part of it is mm. experiencing the music for the first time within the context of... Yeah. Of, of the performance rather than like like for example I've just seen Bohemian Rhapsody at the cinema and that's not a musical but that's the the closest reference I can go to to seeing a piece of entertainment where I already knew half mm-hmm. of the entertainment that built around it it's just like alright okay this is the uh, the uh, we will rock you bit and all that yeah, yeah this is the Bohemian Rhapsody bit yeah I know this this is the whole of Live Aid yeah exactly <laughs> Rather than, for example, when I saw Matilda for the first time and being able to discover those songs, not just as the piece of theatre was going on, but with the other people around me as well and having that shared experience of like, bloody hell, this song is going in cra- in places I never imagined and like that in conjunction with the choreography and all that kind of business. So like you, you must have had a really strong impression in your head of what was going to be happening on stage on these songs before you'd even seen it. I mean, what's interesting is the fact that obviously I'd been listening to these songs for so long and I, set, so I knew them inside and out. I knew the words. I could sing along to every single song and get all of the words. And as I said, the songs are very com- complex. You were chucked out of the theatre halfway through for... Uh, me, me, me and my wife Alexander kind of joked... That's that's not even close to a song, but okay. <laughs> we actually, me and my wife joked actually that we would be chucked out for joining in. But no, and so knowing that so well, and the way um, I grew up with musicals, so um, my family were kind of very much into musicals. So I kind of grew up with them, so kind of film musicals, like Sound of Music and Mary Poppins, all that stuff. And then kind of as I've got older, I've always kind of, I've always kind of been a part of my life, and I've seen listened to new, seen mu- new musicals and some, some older musicals and stuff like that. And so when I was listening to this, this is a musical where there is no dialogue. So in some musicals, you'll have dialogue and then you'll have a song and then more dialogue and then a song and that kind of thing. Whereas this, it's just song all the way through. They're individual songs, but there's no kind of connecting dialogue. So for any of you kind of are familiar with the, the musical Les Miserables, that's, again, it's a musical where it's just song and the songs go into each other and that's how the story is told. So when you listen to an album like that, you're hearing the entire story and so again you do have that in your mind how it will play out on stage and the 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 language used and the songs that are written are very descriptive and are very kind of very easy to picture that in your mind so i did go to it thinking i don't know how much this is going to add to it i want to see it live and i'll get something from seeing it live i don't actually know how much the stadium is it really going to add to it yeah, I think I think I think it makes a massive difference. Or you haven't got those bits in the middle where it's just like, "Oh, Jim, 
I'm so sad. <laughs> oh, why is that, John? Oh, because I just found out my mum isn't my real mum. Oh, shucks. Mamma mia. <laughs> Here I go again. So, but I, I had the same as a kid when I first watched Oliver. Incidentally, Sam, Les Miserables is a great ex-com name. <laughs> Les. Les Miserables. All right, okay. When I when I watched Oliver as a child, I thought I'm getting into this narrative. It looks quite interesting, and suddenly this burst into song. It incredibly confused me as a child, and I remember getting quite angry at the the lack of naturalism. Yeah, I think that's the reason I've never liked musicals because I get so caught up in the drama, and it's like, well, you ruined it now. See, maybe that's thing. Maybe that's thing in terms of a, a musical like Hamilton or Lemmy's, where the, the the song is all the way through because you don't then have that break. For me, I, I mean, I got no problem with those when I listen to those songs. For me, it's one of the best ways to tell a story. When when I and when I saw this show, as I say, going in thinking it wasn't going to really add an awful lot, straight away. I mean, the set is beautiful. Um, it's it's relatively simplistic, but it, it is it's it's kind of this just kind of a blank stage with some circular platforms kind of built into the stage, and then some rigging around the side. But there's not kind of really elaborate staging as for that. But what they managed to do through the choreography and the the performances on stage, and there's a the kind of within the center of stage is kind of three rings which are built kind of into into the kind of the floor, which will turn in kind of two different directions, can turn at different speeds and stuff. And the images that they are able to create through just moving those images, moving the people around on those circles are incredible. And the choreography has to be like millimeter perfect because there are so many times where the action has characters intersecting each other as they come past each other on this kind of conveyor belt almost. And it has to be perfect. And I've seen plenty of theatre, we've all seen plenty of theatre in the past where Sometimes it's a the, sometimes it's a little bit ropey, whether or not the set's a little bit ropey or some of the performances. We've all been in theatre in the past, exactly, where it's been very, very ropey. But every single aspect of this was just on point and perfect. And it was just, as I say, the images that he was being able to create through kind of the use of lighting with this huge ensemble of dancers creating these shapes and creating these images. There is there is one point where it, it represents a, a hurricane within within the show. And one thing I love in theatre is where a performance uses sleight of hand, where it gets you to look away to, to do something and it surprises you. And I always I always love that when that happens. And it managed to do this this time and I audibly gasped and to the point where I saw kind of in the corner of my eye my wife turned to look at me because it did something I don't know what they did to make me look to the side of the stage and as I looked back the whole stage had frozen and you had people with the furniture in the air and it looked like a hurricane and I just like it's obviously very simple all they've done you've got dancers picking up chairs and holding them above their head that's all they've done but the sharpness of it and that sleight of hand to make me look away just to blink and suddenly out of nowhere it's there is just incredible and both me and my wife my wife is a a drama teacher she sees a hell of a lot of theatre both because she enjoys theatre and also from kind of going with schools and stuff and she also said it is hands down the best thing she has ever seen in the theatre and she went into it thinking it was going to be good but didn't quite know how good it was going to be in terms of a a theatre experience but it was just absolutely stunning and I'd recommend you listen to it just listen to a few of the songs sometimes I think with this because the, the hip hop because of the type of music that it is you sometimes need to tune your ear to it because you because it's all about the language that's being told the story that's being told and sometimes you have to tune your ear to it so you can just kind of 
get into that rhythm and listen to it and understand the full full story i challenge you to listen to it and not get something from it maybe you won't fall in love with it like i did but i i bet you you will get some from it. whether it's just the story incredible story incredibly well told in terms of the structure of how it's all set up as well as the content of the songs well dan i'm convinced Alexander Hamilton. What are you doing if I were a rich man? Because <laughs> the syllables match. Alex. <laughs> I got my sixth, sixth, count them, more, than, more than a hand. Yeah. More than five? Uh, more than five. My sixth platinum award. Ooh! Um, is that, is, wait a second. Is that across PS3 and Vita and PS4? Oh, all right. Okay. Bloody hell! I mean, it's a tough. It's a tough crowd, isn't it? I, I think I've got yeah. one. Yeah. Same. I don't is think that I've for completing any. the first episode of The Walking Dead? <laughs> no. I've, okay. I've got. I've got two then. <laughs> yeah. 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 No. The, 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 the one I had was Tearaway. Oh yeah. I've got the Tearaway one. Was really fun. Well, that yeah. was a great platinum to get. That's the that's the only game I've ever kind of actively gone in search of things to get achievements and stuff. Yeah, and and I think Dan, in a nutshell, that has sort of encapsulated the reason why I went out of my way to get the platinum for Marvel's Spider Man, which is weird for me because we said on this podcast before that I have the tendency that once I finish an open world game, I do not go back. I do not mm. care to go back. Um, but the platinum stuff with spider-man was actually from a design perspective really well paced and they were all the trophies were all designed just to push you that little bit further in the game rather than necessarily making sure you see everything and you pick up everything the the trophies were designed more to go on you just 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 a little bit further just try a little bit better in this you don't have to take photos of all the 200 hidden photo opportunities and you don't have to ace all the challenges given to you by challenge master like it was it, it was a reasonable easy few afternoons of clearing that game up and it's kind of so i'm in the position now where it's well what am i going to play next i've just finished night in the woods thank you chris an excellent uh pete that should be on your next to play when you get your switch get night in the woods and you'll you'll, you'll love it because it has a lot to say about the futility of being, which I think you'll enjoy. Um, <laughs> Yay! Yay! No, but it, but it, but it is really funny as well. Yeah, yeah. So I'm in the I'm sort of the ground. So I've downloaded that Assassin's Creed one shot thing because apparently it's only four hours long. So I'm into that. What? That Assassin's Creed. It was on PS Plus a while ago. What's it called? Assassin's Creed. Uh, oh, Freedom Cry. Freedom Cry. Yeah, it's like. Oh, it's... excellent. Yeah. Good. So I might give that good, a go good. because it's, I'm. It's, kind it's the of... Assassin's Creed that solves all the problems of all the other Assassin's Creeds. <laughs> no, by no, only it's being just... four hours long. By only being four hours long. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then um, I've got Transistor by oh. the guys who made Bastion. So I want to give that a go. So I'm just looking for a good palate cleanser, and then I'm going to be deep diving into my game. So my temptation is. That I'm going to get Dark Souls for the Switch. You're a bad man. But I, I'm also very aware that Bloodborne's still there. And <sighs> the reason I'm very aware of it is I was down in London a few weeks ago and had a very lovely time. And I managed to uh, eke out a few hours to go to the uh, V&A Museum, Victorian Albert. and Because they've got a video game exhibit, exhibit going on at the moment called Design, Play, Disrupt. Yeah. And I knew about this mainly because uh, a guy that I 
that I appreciate within the games industry, a guy called Matt Lees, who works for Shut Up and Sit Down and Cool Ghosts and Dark Souls, curated a part of it which was specifically about Bloodborne. And I'm like, right, yep, okay, I'm there, I'm in London. Here's my £16 or £18. Actually, no, it was 20 quid because, you know, they do that thing where it's like, right, it's 18 quid to go in or you can donate £2 and round it up to 20 as a donation to the VNA. And you know what? I'm like with round figures. I'm like, oh, bloody hell. Yeah, right. Screw fix, do the same. They let's do the not same. Pretend that, let's not pretend that none of that £18 is going to the VNA. Like, we have no money. This £18, <laughs> none of it's coming to us. <laughs> I know. Screw fix, do it better because they just do like 47p. Put, putting the screw and fix in <laughs> screw fix. <laughs> but um, I'll keep this brief because this is an exhibit that if you have any love for video games and specifically how they're designed because the Victorian Albert Museum is, is specifically like a design museum. They have stuff mm-hmm. in there from all over the world but it's mainly about, like I took a brief walk around the Japanese and um, China section and it's all about the design of like the samurai uniforms, the design of their pottery and earthenware and all that kind of stuff. So this exhibit is, I was in there with like when a couple of kids and their families came visiting and you could just feel the disappointment as soon as they stepped in. <laughs> so it's just like, where are all the games to... Oh, where... But... Oh. Um, so the the exhibit is split up into four areas. There's like an area... There's like an area to play games. There's a big auditorium which plays films about games and how they can inspire creativity in communities. There's another little area which has almost like these buffet stands almost... Which talks about, you know, should games be political and should games, do games encourage violence? Like all the, like the hot topic buttons for video games. But um, the best bit was the design part of it. And I think that all of us, like I'd love to go again if we get like a trip to go. If you guys just find yourself in London. It's on until like the 24th of Feb, something like that. Mm. Because every single, well... Of the games that were part of that design exhibit, like all of us have got a vested interest in in one of those games. It was Journey, The Last of Us, Bloodborne, The Graveyard, No Man's Sky, uh, Splatoon. Mm. All games that, some of them more specifically than others, I think we would be very interested in knowing a little bit more about how they made, how they were made. And the VNA yeah. have had exceptional access. Like they've got uh, like the design books for the last of us and the design books for journey and the original pin boards for how they mapped like the storyboard in the last of us and like right. like meet ellie here like leave ellie here and like all like how they mapped it out and one of my favorite boards was for journey and how they mapped out journey in this design structure and you're probably more akin to this than i am pete but it was kind of like the player should be feeling this here and then it was like below it's like if in multiplayer the two players should be feeling this and like this is what their spiritual journey should be at this point in the game and at this point in the game it represents old age and i never i never thought that before in journey like they've written out like journey is an allegory for like getting older like Mm. being young and sprightly Uh. and then you get older as you're climbing up that hill you can't move and then eventually your scarf gets shorter by default doesn't it your lifeline is shortening and then it's all about what you leave behind for the next generation so that was really interesting and apparently the color palette for all of journey came from that design document and how it split up and mm. the last of us stuff dan you would love i'm 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 really eager to to get to go to this obviously i, I am in london and i think when it when it opened a, a number of months ago i kind of mm-hmm. I, I said to my wife who's not she enjoys kind of games 
on a, in a passing sense. She likes to watch me play games. She likes to on kind the of be sidelines. Yeah, she likes she likes to kind of be part of that part of that experience. She likes to see you being kept quiet. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I kind of mentioned that to her, see if she was interested, and kind of I explained kind of what it was and the type of things out there, and she was she was well up for it, so she wants mm-hmm. to go as well. So we just need to find some time to go yeah. as as you say it's, it's there until kind of february and stuff and it's okay. actually interesting when you talk about a journey there it's kind of really nice to see that kind of we would play these games and maybe mm-hmm. just kind of the, the kind of people that we would play these games and we would try and look at the meaning behind the games as opposed to just playing it kind of thing so it's yeah. really nice to know that what we were thinking and what we were putting into that game the designers were thinking the exact thinking. same thing or something very similar to try and get that feeling from us. So there's like, there is like a relationship there between us and them of what they're trying to put across and what we're picking up. And it's really nice to know that actually what we were picking up wasn't, was, was wasn't right. us wanting there to be something. It's yeah. that's what was meant to be there. It wasn't us looking for something that's trying to add meaning into something that has no meaning. That was mm-hmm. the, the point of what they were doing. Yeah. The, um, that that ekes through all all through the exhibit like the bit of the graveyard is the guy uh, the the team that designed that have like their um game manifesto like a man- they have like a manifesto of play like what games should be and how they should be uh, experienced and the the stuff with the last of us it takes like a vertical slice from the game and has two screens up against each other and so as it wanders through it shows you the concept art for that section and then when ellie and joel are talking it shows you the the dialogue script the code as it's flicking through and then it will show you ellie's ai movement for how she follows joel so it shows you like the map how she navigates the world and the bloodborne stuff oh my god the bloodborne stuff so the highlight of the whole exhibit for me was matt lee's has done basically a spoken word poem about the cleric beast who's the first boss you fight in bloodborne and it's up on this massive screen like and no wonder these kids that ran in were so horrified because it's all you can hear for pretty much throughout the whole exhibit is this fight with the cleric beast and it is not it, basically it's, it's a whole design of bloodborne like it is not made to sound pretty like it's meant to shock you and make you feel panic and make you feel nervous it's actually quite an easy boss but it defines the whole de- design philosophy of, of what bloodborne is but what makes the the exhibit really good is they've thought about it it's not just a screen with matt lee speaking over it they've also got a little screen next to it which shows you every time he attempted that boss boss fight and died so while you're watching it you're also keeping your eye in the corner to you died popping up and you died all the time and on the other side it's got a screen of him just holding the controller like uh sort of like a a bird's eye view like just top down of him like on the controller so you can see the dexterity that's going into to what he's doing and he just nails the design philosophy of bloodborne so much so that i think i'm definitely going to go back to it or definitely play some dark souls on switch because what he showed me and and genuinely what that exhibit showed me and what you spoke about dan is when you get that connection with a game that you go yeah i know exactly what you were trying to do with this like i know exactly what you were trying to communicate through this mechanic that it's really hard to like tear yourself away from that from that kind of experience Mm. yeah i'm looking forward to it well i feel like what do you feel like you feel like chicken tonight do you, do you remember those adverts do you remember <laughs> <what>? <laughs> i feel like, like chicken tonight alex hamilton right <laughs> <laughs> 
And it was just Chir- like chicken with the worst sauce. With the just... the uh, I actually had a I had a I had a chicken tonight jar, but I I used it instead for like I for like a like a, a potato bake. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. like and like oh god, you like you eat it and then like at the end of it, you're like, why does my whole mouth taste like chemicals? <laughs> like I feel like chicken tonight. Chicken tonight. It's like they made up the jingle and thought, oh, we've got to make some food stuff now, don't we? Like, honestly, like, there is some utter, utter rubbish, isn't there? Like, on, <laughs> uh, in advertising. I feel like chicken tonight. Okay, fine. <laughs> that's, a, that's a perfectly fine sentence. I feel like chicken tonight. Yeah, all right, that's a little bit insistent. <laughs> like chicken tonight. All right, okay. <laughs> but... Somewhere, 12 people in a room decided that would be the most valid way to advertise that product. Can I can I just say, like, 20 years later, we're sat here on a podcast singing that tune. It kind yeah, of worked. It, it, oh, it, you're sh- right, Dan. It's a slow burn. <laughs> yeah. 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 They, were, they, were sat there and, they were sat there in the marketing department, weren't they? They were sat there like, you know what, if we can just reach four, <laughs> four middle-class white dudes 30 in 20 years, years from time, now. Yeah, yeah. Then maybe they'll buy a jar of our crap sauce. Like, oh, I could, I, 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 I mean, you can carry on your thought, but I, I don't believe that chicken tonight is something that's still on sale. Go on, I think it say, is. Pete? I reckon it oh, is. Oh, it's a hundred percent on sale. Chicken tonight. Do you, do you feel like that? Tonight? Chicken tonight, French wine sauce. Oh, doesn't mention which French wine, but uh, yeah, it's it, it's it's gross, isn't it? Talking about fine food, I had a sixty-year-old wine like the other week. All right. A, a glass of the 60-year-old red Now, I've wine. had old wine before. <laughs> yeah. Well. Is that just wine that you found after a long time, or is that... <laughs> yeah, it's a couple of, it was like a couple of years. Yeah, it's the, yeah you'd, pour, you'd poured it a few years ago, and you just forgot about it. When do we buy this bottle of Echo Falls? <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, um, there's a really nice uh, wine restaurant in Manchester where you have sure. this little card, and you load up the card with money figures and then you then it has like along the walls there's there's not like a bar there along the walls it has this dispensary for lots of different wines and you slot Mm. your card into the top and you say oh just have a little like dribble of this just to like taste it so you can either have like full glasses of wine that you know you like or you can spend the money just try tasting loads of wine and at the end of the evening we had some money left and we're like should we just we'll just try it we'll get a little like dribble of the 30 year wine and try it and it tasted all right yeah, like that. So I had I had, a, I had a glass of a sixty-year-old wine, and I had a glass of what uh, Alex's father believes is one of is one of the greatest wines in the world, and it was from nineteen eighty-six. Uh, like, it is a, it is like it is like an expensive bottle, and he's been keeping it for 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 a while, and he thinks it's it's the best wine, best vintage, best year. And I was sat there, and it was a very nice, you know, polite dinner. We were all having a, a you know nice time and celebrating his birthday. And uh, he's like, you know, what, what do you think of this? You know? And I was sat there, and the only thing that was trawling through my mind, my brain was just screaming, yeah, that's red wine. <laughs> I mean, I agree, I agree with you. I mean, what do you, what do you expect to be tasting? Like, I call from Olympus. Like, it's, it's not the blood of the gods. It's not going to give you everlasting life. It just... but, some people, but some people think it is. Like, it, and, and I guess that's like... I suppose he was describing, asking you to describe what the bouquet was, like what notes you were getting. Red. But like, I, red like, isn't a note, Pete. <laughs> or a bouquet. <laughs> Smells like red. I mean, like, I, I guess that's maybe the same with like games, right? Like, like 
I we I sit down and I play you know some nice some nice tabletop or video games or whatever it is, and I'm like I have a very definitive set of tastes, and sometimes I'll go to games that are like slightly out there because that's a thing that I really enjoy. But yeah. for most people, like it's just it's it's fine. It's like whatever is in Tesco's right is 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 enough. So me and you have been playing Grip, mm. which is a game designed by someone who has a bit like. Alex's dad holds something in very high esteem from their from their past yes. and also like and wants you to enjoy it as much as they have enjoyed it as well. So Grip is basically it's almost like a it's a it's a love letter to Roll Cage. You remember that um yeah, brilliant. Well, rose tinted glasses brilliant game that was out on the yeah. PlayStation 1. And a guy, I'm sure you're filling all the gaps here, Pete. And a guy who basically loved it so much decided, well, I'm just going to make it again, but and yeah. put it on PS4 and Switch and PC and and Xbox and all that other one. Um, yeah, uh, and um, like I've been, yeah, I like I've been playing it, and so I've been playing the PC version. You've been playing the Switch version, yeah. And we'll talk about the differences in a minute. Uh, but like, but is it that thing? Do you get? The, but do you get that thing from it of the? Is it? Is like that wine. Is it something that you just appreciate it for for what it is? It, yes. Is it just a thing that you can only appreciate for what it is, or is it imbued with the fact that it was made by someone who loved it possibly more than you do? It's a thing that the game is so roll cage in a lot of ways, but especially yeah. in feeling, and that's like so in like it is so mid to late nineties racing game that it, it, it's this wonderful reminder of how different racing games are now. Not in a better way or a worse way, just they're different. Like, the thing that... that, that one, of the, one of the key things that keeps hammering home to me while I play this is, bloody hell, this is hard. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Like, like, this is a hard... Like, I, I, I'm like, if, if I get to second, I'm like, brilliant. And I'm just like, you know, sweat, sweating. <laughs> like, like, I'm just like, that, this, is in, this is incredibly hard. Because that game does not muck about, right? So if you think about, um, just for anybody who hasn't, hasn't played Roll Cage or, or Grip, uh, basically... Or can't remember um, things 30 or, years ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, basically, the idea is that you have... The, the vehicles have four wheels, four very large wheels, and a lot of downforce to them. But the wheels are as tall as the actual vehicle's body itself. So it's like, do you remember those old remote-controlled yeah. racing cars that could flip upside down and keep keep driving? Mm-hmm. That's the exact same thing. And um, so they have a lot of downforce as well. And this, what that means is that, yes, obviously, you're so you're keeping to the... It's a fut- futuristic racing game, very, very high speed. But it's not wipeout in that it like it's anti-grav but it is wipeout in that the game is like yo learn these tracks because otherwise you're screwed and and learn how this very different handling model wants to be treated it is not just you could just pick this up and play it if you've played any old racing game it's a like the cars feel incredibly weighty and Mm -hmm. like very slow to turn until you overturn them and it is like a it is like a feathers touch of how they are to like 
oversteer, for example, um, or they've got this this loads of downforce, so so you can go very very quickly, and there's boosts and weapons and all that sort of stuff. It means that you can go up the side of the the tracks. You can be basically driving on the roof yeah. upside down with with competitors below you, which is an incredible thing. It makes I'm you feel. I like Roll Cage. It's got those great moments where you'll come out of a tunnel and you'll be like, oh, it's upside down the whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, yes. <laughs> um, but then, but here's the thing, because it needs that downforce. If one of those wheels leaves the ground, yeah. mm-hmm. you are out of control. Like, so, so it has these like little along all of the tracks, as long as, as well as the pickups and, you know, um, and, and beautiful, g- gentle sweeping curves, which is exactly what you want in Roll Cage. Sweeping curves. It'll also have these little bumps in the road or little uh, little um, lit up uh, sort of tiny little ramps. Yeah, They'll yeah. just r- take one wheel up and it will either just spin you out or you need to absolutely compensate for it and know that you're about to hit that. But because you've got so much forward momentum and because the actual amount you can turn is quite small until you start careening out of control, you really have to feel, you really feel like you have to get into this like loop. Like, again, like Formula One uh, games, like Wipeout, it mm-hmm. feels like you have to get into this loop. And as soon as you come out of that, out of that rhythm, like, it's over and you're third and you're yeah. behind, like, you're, you're going to lose the race. Um, and, like, for me, I was like, that's great. Like, like, th- like, I'm constantly playing it and thinking to myself, this is, this is astonishingly hard. I'm, in, I'm into this. Whereas, like, if you're going into this thinking, eh, it's just like F Zero, or it's just like Wipeout, it's if just you like think any it's other just racing like game. A bottle of wine, then <laughs> yeah, like if 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 you're going into it thinking like this is like this is like just some bottle of like plonk, right? It's like whatever. Then yes, uh, you, like you're going to run up against it because it it isn't interested in holding holding you by the hand, and that's good for me. But it's also got a few failings, like. Hmm. I think. I mean, I, I, I mean, how have you found it on Switch? On Switch, I, I, Switch is not. I, I liked it. I, I, I like it, but it's been. It looks on Switch like someone smeared Vaseline all over the screen. Uh, like it's been. It looks like it's been downgraded to keep the frame rate up. So it's a bit cloudy. It's a bit foggy, right. and just some strange, some really strange choices. Like, so I have a bad time with the Switch controls, and most of the times, like. And there's some bits in Night in the Woods where you have to play the bass. like And like right. Chris oh, yeah. was saying on the pod, it's like um, rock band. So as the, um, as the trigger points come down, you've just got to hit like X, Y, B. I have no idea where <laughs> A, B, X and Y is on the Switch yep. controller. So I was yep. just like, Alexander Hamilton, like <laughs> just like all over the shop. So... Already, I'm at a kind of a disadvantage with the Switch because it's not my dominant console. Like, I don't yeah, know yeah. where those buttons are when I close my eyes. So, it's not helped by the fact that Grip has the strangest button. Mapping. Really odd. Like, re- so the game sets you off with the default where the accelerate button is the right trigger. Yep. But the button to fire your right weapon is also the right bumper. And if you're holding the controller you're only using one figure finger on the trigger so essentially yeah. you've got to take your finger off the accelerate trigger to fire a weapon right so so i hold so i i actually have to hold the controller i'll so i'm uh, i play with um an xbox 360 controller yeah. through the pc so i've been holding with my middle finger the right trigger to accelerate and then with my first finger r1 to fire and it is it is very odd like it, it just immediately makes you think oh okay i don't i don't quite 
I don't quite have the same level of like fine control over yeah. over mm-hmm. the fingers and this is a game that does need a little bit of that what did you think about like the menu design oh oh the i i the okay. menus are mad so the menus are crazy and to sum them up half the menus to continue you press a which is the equivalent of pressing circle on the ps4 pad other menus to progress yeah. you have to press x on the switch which is the equivalent of pressing triangle, triangle. on the ps4 yeah, and you're just like, what? Why? Why? And it seems it seems really weirdly arbitrary. And, just like, just... And, and and I know that shouldn't put you off a game, but you just those little like quality yeah. of life things yeah. can be the difference between when I'm looking at my switch and I'm cycling through the games. I've got ten minutes. What am I going to play? What yeah. am I going to play? I'll you know dive into Dark Souls again because yeah. I know I'm going to have a good quality of game i'm not gonna have to fight against anything to to play so 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 there's the campaign and yeah. I, I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna say nice things about this game in a minute because I, I do want to actually get across that i really do like it. Re- it's, it it shows that they're re- i'm being really nitpicky about the fact that controls yeah. don't make it comfortable because we both like it like the game yeah exactly so like so okay so in the there's a campaign yeah. and like that's the, the meat of the game really and you, you level up through it and you unlock content and you can deck out your car in whatever way you want and new paints and color schemes and all that good stuff decals um there's a single player component and an online component i haven't really done much online stuff single player component you can play different race types so there's a deathmatch, which is you know as you would expect it's like an arena based shooting yeah. stuff there's sing- single races which is racing against the clock across dof- lots of different futuristic planets destroying stuff it's great and then there's car core which is like which is like basically it's like track mania's stunt tracks so it's 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 not about it's i mean it is about getting through it quickly but it's more about like can you get to the end yeah um and um and like so i was like oh that's a really cool idea like i love racing games that uh, you know and driving games that try different things and um so i started playing it and I, the first map the first one is called something like up and down or something like that and basically there's one jump okay there's a single jump that you need to make. And I went to go and choose to play that in, as part of the single player because I hadn't unlocked it during the campaign. So I was playing in the single player mode. And before you go in, you can choose the speed of your vehicle, right? So it's slow, medium, and fast, really fast. Um, I'm 99% confident that if you choose the slow one, which is the default, you can't complete that first level. Like, I spent 20 minutes trying to basically get over a jump with the slowest slowest vehicle and it just i couldn't get across the gap the chasm was just too Too wide whereas i went to medium and it was like yeah no no problem i I remember i remember playing a a race on gta 5 with chris where chris at the start where you pick a vehicle and for some reason i think it may have been by accident chris picked and i was timed out and i I didn't pick a vehicle so it gave me what it felt was the most suitable (laughs) default vehicle for this loop the loop track which happened to be a vespa scooter (laughs) But but the Vespa scooter did not have enough power to get up some of the hills in the no. track. So because no, no, no. it was because it was a hair dryer. <laughs> we would be looping, going. We would be lapping him repeatedly, and every time I'd lap him, I'd just see Chris like I could just see like the smoke coming out of the back of his Vespa like, as he struggles to get up this one beep, hill. Beep, beep. Like just yeah. So 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 like I couldn't figure out a way to make that work. Right? It's just weird little des- like decisions like that that I just. That are, that are really strange, but but for all of these little quality of life things that that we've sort of been complaining about, it is a really good game. Like it is, it is an excellent game. Like it is super fast, 
and I really like fast racing games. It is has a really cool uh, Dora Jar style world building and narrative, which is basically like opening opening just enough into this world to to give you a hint at what the the backstory is and where humanity is and what the story is, but not so much that, you know, it's, I mean, it's a racing game, right? But there's just enough of that world building to go, oh, this is really interesting. The presentation, I think, is excellent. Um, on, so I'm playing on some PC. I've got a, a, a pretty good PC and I'm playing it on like max settings and it looks phenomenal and it runs super smooth. And when everything is moving and you are up against, you know, you are up in the middle of the racing pack and half of you are on the ceiling, half of you are on the ground, you're, you know, people are boosting away, people throwing rockets out, um, some people are, like, flying out, uh, taking different shortcuts so that they can, you know, uh, you know, very, very dangerous, risky shortcuts to, to, to shave a few seconds off their lap times. When you're wheel-to-wheel with your opponents, it is, it is extremely exciting, like it is an extremely exciting uh, racing game, uh, and yeah, I mean, I I I really I think it's great, and it's really cool that it's been in like early access for so long because I avoided it in early access because I wanted to play a game that was like finished and done and ready to like you know an actual proper game that was like sorted. And this is tons of content, loads to unlock. Like yeah, it's really cool, and I think I don't know. Like, if we were all into racing games, this would be the one that I'd be like, we need to just play this online. Pete. Pete. Yeah. 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 If I want to send a question in. Yeah. (laughs) (sighs) Is it... Hang on. Hang on, Pete. Hang on, Pete. Hang on. I I think I've learned the email address. I think I've learned it. Yeah. Staying Mm. in the podcast. No. Okay. So it's it's staying in pod. (laughs) At gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Twitter. Uh, you can find us on tw- at Twitter. Don't don't tweet Twitter. Yeah, Jack will just be like, I'm too busy. Uh, uh, What's Twitter? Yeah. Uh, it's uh, so you can do it to stayinginpod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at stayinginpod uh, for both, I think. Gotcha. And you can just send us a message there and uh, say hello. And we, yeah. we uh, this is like episode eight where we've had uh, continued to have them, which is really good. So go on, I'm ready. This is from Twitter. Um, Question at, me up. at Cromarty. Uh, good name. I like Cromarty. <clears throat> so they've they've asked us a question. They've also provided a statement, uh, which we'll go into in a second. So um, so they said the best board game is Risk, <laughs> which is I think is fine. Okay. Uh, uh, it, this is a statement, but also a question. Mm. I guess they're okay, asking, so is this the best board game? The best board game is Risk. Um, and, yeah, best board game is Risk. Uh, and also, why is Australia a territory that they make so easy to take and keep? Now, I'm assuming that that is related to the game Risk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and not, not like the geopolitical... <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, best board game is Risk? No. What? Now, are we talking you... about the Risk the board game or kind of the concept of Risk? The best board game is best board game or board risk. games. Oh no, he's just uh, having seen this tweet briefly. He's used a capital R on the risk, so I assume. Oh, okay. So it's risk the intellectual property of Hasbro. Um, so I think is it the best board game? It's probably not. Not for me, it's, anyway. I think risk has a lot to answer for. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, it, but in what good do, ways. What do you mean by that, Sam? In good ways. In good ways. I think what, that, what do you mean about that by some, one, of our, one of our listeners' favourite board games? Well, first of all, it gave birth to the legacy genre. That's good. So it has a lot Ooh. to answer for then. And there, even there, there's, there's the tick in the pro column. There's a tick in the pro column. Important game. I also think it... Risk has done a lot for diplomacy within games and making that... And so blending blending those two halves of games where it's like a random chance, which is all games used to be, yeah. really. You roll a dice, you roll and move. That is yeah. your go. Yeah. All based on the roll of the dice. And there is some random elements, like the combat in Risk is, is random, but you can you can improve your odds based on the your army size and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But what, and from those I know who have played Risk and enjoyed it, um, what they enjoy is the diplomatic yeah. um, area of it. To the fact that they went from Risk to play a game called Diplomacy, which is kind of what I sort of have it in my head is kind of like the best bits of Risk in another game. Um, right. So right. like enhances, you like Diplomacy, you like the diplomatic things in Risk where you're asking another player not to invade or that kind of thing. Yeah. But so the best bit it. of Risk is social. Yeah, I think I think that's what Risk does because even though all of most of its elements are random in terms of like cards that you're p- playing from your hand and you're pulling from a deck and dice that you're rolling for mm. for attacking, it's what I think people enjoy about it mm. is the social part of it, the stories that you tell, the fact that you know between two, three, or four players, or whatever, or even six, I think it can go to, you are creating your own history of the world, really. Yeah. Um, and uh, we'll come to Chris for his expert uh, analysis. Uh, why is Australia a territory that's so easy to take and keep? Well, I've done some research on this. Go Apparently. On. All right. Or is there an actual yeah. reason? Uh, well, it's just because it basically allows you to mount a defence on such a, a massive scale, essentially. Mm-hmm. So others find it pointless to even mess with you because of where you're located. Mm-hmm. It's actually quite an easy way to kind of hunker down. Yeah. Apparently, never start in Europe, and the because the Ukraine is weak okay. in the game. Yeah. Um, apparently, these people's strategies they're putting forward. Um, but yeah, Australia is like a, a good place to kind of fortify. It's right. it's, a, it's a massive chunky island. I'm assuming. I have actually played both Risk and Diplomacy, but I don't know if you ever did this. But when you go into when we had like a, a toy cupboard when we were kids that had the games and toys in that was shared between three of us, me and my two siblings. My dad's board games are in there, and my brother and I found his copy of Risk and Diplomacy, and we looked at the, the cover, and it was a bit like those kids' sound that you saw at the V&A. <laughs> we thought, oh, wow. <laughs> this looks great. And then immediately, great. disappointment. We opened the box. We took one look at this rule book, which I can't remember if it's long or not, but it looked long for us as a child and looked impenetrable. So we decided to play the game without reading the rules. <laughs> so we just made up... Our, and it was wonderful because it became a, that social thing of risk. We decided as we were playing what the rules were. Yeah. And we played risk for hours without playing the rules. We made up the rules ourselves. I used to, I used, I was the same with... Um, is it called Word Up or Upwords? Which is like that variant of Scrabble where you could put the letters on top of other letters. It takes Scrabble into the third dimension. And me and my brother used to create like little word forts. <laughs> We never, we never, we didn't understand how the game worked, so we just like built little like word barricades with the letters and tiles. That was that was about it. But risk, yeah, it's like doing like Hungry Hippo's Legacy. 
<laughs> I'd actually quite like to play Risk Legacy. I wonder whether that would be a... It's meant to be great. It's meant to be absolutely brilliant. Because that's what you kind of want from that game. Yeah. Because like Risk has lots of things in it that I like in games. Like it has that, you know, the tactical strategic element of not just where you're going to place things, but the um, the bonds and the uh, unities you make outside of the game, as it were. It has, you know, pretty interesting dice combat, which is always thrilling. You know, any mm-hmm. game that makes you go, yeah, or, oh, like yeah, on yeah. a roll of a dice, I think that's those are genuinely exciting. But it also has the capacity to, to tell a story. And, to, yeah. and for me, those are the games I like most. And it's still the one reason why I really want to play Twilight Imperium by Hook or by mm-hmm. Crook. Because that game is built around making a story and developing, like, you know, a government between you and your friends. So... If that makes Risk the best board game ever, then... Well, apparently it does, because as, as, as the listener said, Risk is the best board game. Where, where is Risk on BGG? Oh, you can't trust BGG no, with something like don't. that. Like, you can... <laughs> <laughs> but, but, like, joking aside, because, like, legacy, bo- legacy in kind of the board game world hasn't really taken off as much as no. people thought it would. No, There's been true. quite a few duff legacy games, so I really think we're going to see a lot of people going back thinking actually i've played pandemic legacy I, the, these ones are out here now pretty naff mm. i want to go back to the legacy game and, and, and a game or... like risk benefits a bit more because of all those components because of all those things i kind of said you know the fact that you're creating a story the fact that yes. you're developing like uh, alliances and you will also double cross your friends like having mm. that legacy element can really embellish and emphasize those traits and I also wonder whether... Because Risk has one thing in it that I hate in all games, which is player elimination. Like, the yeah, fact that I anyone, hate that. The fact that anyone should have to sit out of a game and watch other people play, I think, is unless there's some way that's built into a mechanic. Like, I heard of a recent game, uh, a social game, that... Was it was it Werewolf Legacy? I don't know. Oh, uh, they... no, no, no. It's it's one that's like Werewolf. They were talking about it and Shut Up and Sit Down. The name escapes me, but... It, where they become it, ghosts. But... That's it. If you yeah. get eliminated from the game, you become a ghost and you still have a role in what happens in the game. But anyway, by the by, Risk has that in it. And I think that if the legacy version fixes that, then uh, I'm on board for, for, for playing it. The slight risk variant. Yes. That was Staying In with Sam Turner, Peter Willington, Dan Frost and myself, Chris Darby. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to us on wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to leave us a review too also, we'd be really chuffed to bits. Thanks for listening.